0: And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. It's
1: a Madhouse! A Madhouse! Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Madhouse. I'm Jason. I'm Mike. I'm Rob. And special guest, Gavin Michael Booth again.
2: Here I am. (laughs)
3: Yes. Yes, you were saying you had a late night last night. I saw the pictures, and I have to ask, because it said on there the the, the 4D experience.
2: What was that? Uh, last night I was at the Man's Chinese Theater here in LA for the Insidious Three premiere event, but uh, across the street in a, in a parking lot, sort of behind the Jimmy Kimmel Theater, uh, they had uh, like a tractor trailer set up, and it, and it was a new. 4D Oculus Rift uh, Haunted House Ooh. which sort of put the ScareHouse to shame right, by, really? by a shot, you know? <laughs> and uh, you know I was there with, with my wife Sarah who starred in ScareHouse and, and they make you go in individually so she went before me and was screaming the whole way through I'm like wait a minute this girl just made a movie about a haunted house <laughs> <laughs> how am I going to do this but they take you in they have a couple traditional scares and then they sit you down in a chair and this is the first time I've ever used the Oculus Rift headset So they put it on and it sorta comes to life and Lin Shea's there and like if if you've ever ever seen a demoed if you look left or right or up or down, it's all like a virtual world that you're in and, and it's stunningly realistic and they take you through this little adventure. So there's there's air cannons that are blasting at you as things are, like, jumping out on the screen. And <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty cool. So I, it, to me, it looks like they're going to take that tractor trailer and drive around all weekend to different movie theaters and set it up for audience members to, uh-huh. yeah. And that's one of the things I love about, like, the Blumhouse guys and everybody involved in that film is they're always looking at new ways to promote. And, you know, if you think way back, they did that amazing trailer for the paranormal activity that got us all interested with the, the night vision cameras filming the. The audience members, and uh, yes. you know, I think that's what makes movies fun—is when people start to figure out how to blend all the new technology into it.
4: No yeah. doubt, that would be wicked. Uh, the Oculus Rift thing—that technology—is really, really taken off because I was listening to another podcast, and the the one guy's talking about the virtual reality, and then they have these new stand-up walking pods. You put the Oculus Rift on, and it's kind of you stand in like a dish. And you can actually take steps, and as you're oh, well,
2: I've seen that. It looks like one of those giant, like baby um, yeah, like a baby walker thing, yeah, things, right. But for adults, yep. yeah, yep. And so it's it's almost like a treadmill that works in all, all directions, yeah. right? Where you yep. can kind of walk on it, yep. yep.
4: And said so the 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 blending of the technology is, is starting to get scary. Oh wow! Yeah, there's some pretty neat videos I th- I of think watching for, people for do. For video
2: those. games, it'll be amazing. You know, you put that thing on and you're playing Call of Duty, and wherever wherever you look, it's a it's a completely immersive environment. Will be unreal. Yeah.
4: That was the one. I think I did see the guy. He did. He was holding uh, a, a rifle of some kind, so it might have been a first person shooter. So the more the way you move is the way your character moves in the game. Oh, that would be amazing! Oh.
2: And I think they had, it looked like they had a camera set up so that they're filming everyone sitting in the chair to get their reactions to things. <laughs> nice. you know, so I'm sure that'll pop up online somewhere.
1: Yeah, you can see videos of that on uh, YouTube where there's people and it shows them with the, the thing on and it shows their screens. So you see what they're jumping at. It's
2: I like, think I've pretty seen some, some horror thing, right? It just shows people freaking out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
3: That would be wicked. That is a wicked way to promote this movie. Like, what did you think of the movie?
2: I, you know, I, you know, in full disclosure, I have never seen Insidious One and Two. So I was going to, you know, I had planned on catching up yesterday and then schedule didn't permit it. So I've seen the first 15 minutes of part one and <laughs> uh, and part three. But the third one's a prequel. So apparently I was able to walk into it just fine because now I can watch them in chronological order. That's true, uh, too. I, I enjoyed it. <clears throat> I think it had, had a ton of great scares. Uh, and things where you're like, oh, they're going for that one. And she's going to look under the bed, and, it's, and then it's not what you're what you're expecting. And uh, you know, I, I've seen all the conversation online over the last five years. But oh, the the demon in the, in the first one looks so stupid. He looks like Darth Maul, and blah blah blah. Like, so I I don't know that character, but the the, the like demon bad guy in this one was terrifying <laughs> for most of it. Really, and they do it very well. Where they the, you know they only show him in low light. It, it reminded me of like going going back to like the. Original Nightmare on Elm Street and things where, you know, it's way creepier when you only sort of see things in the shadows versus, you know, full force.
3: Well, and I saw an interview with James Wan and Lee Whannell that when they write their horror movies, they don't want to have those fake scares. Where a cat jumps out of a closet, you know, and they said, if you're going to jump, it's because something's scaring the shit out of you.
2: Yeah, they do. Yeah, I can't think of any any fake scares. So it was more like they went for what you thought the scare was going to be, and then they twist it and get you from somewhere else. So so your mind's going like, okay, I'm prepared for what's about to happen, and then something else happens. You know, I thought it was great. And then in this one, they really put... Um, you know, again, I don't know the, the movies, but it's it's more the origin story of of Lynn Shay, and she's sort of the central character in this one, and gets to do apparently a lot more ass kicking than she normally does in the other films.
3: Well, yeah, she's pretty passive in the first one. Yeah, well, the first two, but yeah. it's passive in a a Zelda Rubenstein sort of way in Poltergeist. Okay, yeah, you know, she's pivotal, but she doesn't do a lot.
2: You know, sorry, you mean Jared? What's his face in the new one? Right. Yeah, the... They yeah. don't have to sell the character. And, like, like and the new Poltergeist, the, yeah, it's yeah.
1: that Irish priest guy. I do forget.
3: There is a new one out. Yeah, I haven't seen the new one yet. Though. Oh, it comes out in like two, three weeks. No, it's out now.
1: No, oh, it it's
2: out. Oh. It's already gone. I thought yeah. it was out.
1: Oh, I thought it didn't come out for a couple more weeks. No,
3: no.
2: no
1: I saw good. it come out last yeah. weekend, I think.
2: It, it opened at like 20 million or something. It's just, you know, opening horror movies in the summer. That's why I'm, I'm curious to see what Insidious does uh, tonight at the box office because it's, it's up against... It, it's only... There's not really a horror movie it's up against. The only other movie that will likely beat it at the box office is that. There's the new Melissa McCarthy, Jason Statham yeah. action comedy, which um, actually looks oh, pretty spy, funny. yeah, spy, spy. spy. Yes. Oh, wait.
3: oh, and Entourage comes out this weekend too.
2: Uh, that oh, actually, yeah, oh, the oh. movie that no one asked for, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> except the four people in it. Well, exactly. yeah, I saw one of them on one of the late night talk shows last night. night. I didn't. I, have you ever seen the show?
2: I, I watched all of the show. I mean, it's it's one of those shows where it was it was, yeah. You know, I mean, Ari's the best part of it, and it was it was never like amazing, but it's that fun sort of pseudo Hollywood Hollywood thing. I, like I liked all the in jokes and cameos, and, and I love when celebrities are, are willing to play themselves as their stereotype like james cameron directing aquaman all these things and uh, <laughs> i love the show so you know i'll probably go see the movie and i bet you it has crap ratings and everything else but if you if you like the characters and you went through the whole series you're, you're gonna go see the movie right
3: yes yeah, i have not seen the series at all neither have i and i've been meaning to but, i haven't just it was
2: entertaining yeah. and I, I liked it a lot because it's it set you know it's it's a fictional story about you know an actor's rise rise up from the beginning and all the agents and power tripping and egos in Hollywood and all the the backstabbing but, and it's a comedy but it's all set and it's all it's all loosely based on Mark Wahlberg's life I guess like his older brother character Johnny Drama is based on Donnie Wahlberg and like trying to always find a comeback because he used to be an actor years years before or whatever whatever it is so I think it's it was good I liked, I liked every episode and Mark Wahlberg does a cameo in the movie.
3: I think he um, did some cameos dead. in the yeah, series yeah. too, didn't he?
2: he? He might be. He might be. Yeah, yeah. but that he's was the I know he's the producer of the show, and it's all loosely based on his his sort of beginnings.
3: Okay, I know I do want to see the series. I just it's like you, it's like finding time to sit down and actually watch it. Especially, uh,
2: Chuck, I just I just plowed through season one of uh, Banshee because I'm going to meet with an actress from that, and which I had never seen, which I really enjoyed. And then I watched Halt and Catch Fire which is great on AMC. Um, so just, just trying to, like, find... I, and, and that all worked out because I, I had, like, the flu or a death cold last week. <laughs> and Sarah it, so we were like, all right, Netflix, next two days, go. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: That's the only good thing about a cold is you catch up on yeah, stuff. yeah.
2: That's how I watched... I remember having... Um, Not Norwalk uh, swine flu like three or four years ago, and like and just I'd never really watched MythBusters other than in pieces. There was like a marathon on on Discovery, and I just ended up watching like three or four (laughs) seasons of MythBusters (laughs) in a couple days.
3: They have some pretty interesting topics on that show.
2: The problem with any show like that is if you watch it, I I just recently got hooked on Face Off, the like reality model, the the reality makeup special effects makeup show. But, you know, if you watch them, if you watch it week to week, you probably wouldn't notice. But then when you watch them back to back to back, it's like it's the most formulaic thing. Like the same music beats at every moment of the show and the same edits. And they cut to commercial at exactly the same moment <laughs> in every episode. and It gets a little too repetitive.
4: Well, that's that whole if
3: it's
2: not broke, don't fix it. Well, you know, that, yeah, exactly. That's also
4: having everything on Netflix yanking the curtain back on all of that stuff, too. So like when you can binge... Uh, a season's worth. You get to see everything laid out right in front of you.
2: Yeah. It's ambitious, too, because, you know, know, up until this point, most shows used to be, you know, they would shoot sort of year-round or or shoot over a six- or eight-month period, and now they shoot, edit, and do all the posts and and release all at once. Like, that's an ambitious schedule for, like, The Orange is the New Black Season 3 comes out soon, and that's just, you know, you get the whole thing. But I did see Netflix... Uh, there's a Canadian series, a produced series on there now called Begins or Begin. Um, I've, I have a few friends that, that worked on that in the producing department. And I, I saw on Netflix, I haven't watched it yet, but it says new episodes weekly. So even Netflix is going to try the, the weekly thing. And I you know, I, I, yeah. I like that there's just all these new ways to... to you know, take in content and all these new networks, and, and there's no sort of like I saw. Crackle is doing their first original movie, Joe Dirt 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: it involves time travel. I, my son I saw know. the trailer and I heard it from across the room. I'm like, w- time travel, Joe Dirt? What?
2: I did I did laugh at the trailer three times and I hated myself a little bit for <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
3: Well, all of us know we're going to watch it. No, we're not.
2: You might. I haven't, I haven't seen the first one, so I'll have to. A back-to-back screening,
3: yeah. <laughs> oh, see, I watched the first one. I was forced to watch it because with CKX, we had Tyler Maine here. So uh, I wanted okay. to see some of these Tyler Maine cameos, and he's in the first one.
2: So, oh, amazing. Great. Yeah.
1: So I had to watch it. It was interesting.
4: Taking one for the team. Where I did.
1: Oh, I watched that movie numerous times. I... It's a guilty pleasure. I enjoy Joe Dirt. I, it gives me chuckles. It's, it, yeah, the, I think the whole. Sometimes those, those right stupid now, right
2: comedies now. kind of grow on you, you know? Even yep. the smart comedies. Like, I remember seeing Zoolander in the theater and being like, yeah, that was fun. I laughed, but that was it, you know? And then you watch it again. And again, and again, and you realize, man, some of these jo- even though the movie as a whole is a bit is a bit stupid, these these bits, these because these guys are known for sketch comedy, right? So these little bits that pop up are can be quite hilarious, and then you end up quoting them for the rest of your life.
1: <laughs> Talladega Nights is that way for me. Oh yes. yeah! The first yeah, I time I watched it, it, it was I like, didn't "Eh." Need
2: to see it again, yeah.
1: And then I watched it. I've watched it like two or three times since the first time I watched it, and it it just it makes me chuckle even more the more I watch it. I can't explain that.
2: The one, the one, the, the biggest one I can remember is watching Napoleon Dynamite in the theater, and like, <laughs> uh, I laughed. And then my brother came by my office a couple of days later and said, "Hey, have you seen this movie yet?" I just saw it. And I'm like, "Yeah." And we were talking about things in it. And then started to laugh, like, oh, I, maybe I should watch it again. And I did. And it just, you know, and then it just clicked, you know? That's so but I find cool. that that's the same way for me when I listen bands that I love. You know, you've got their, their like, the album that, that you fell in love with the band It's the most sentimental to you. And then everything they do, like, when it first comes out and it's new, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then eventually, you know, you listen to it again and again, and then you're like, okay, it's not the same, but that's a good thing, and I, I like this as much, unless it's Metallica or U2. They're just on a... Whoa, really? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Jason and I, I, I are so. stepping out of this conversation. <laughs> there, there's, <laughs> okay. some, there's some good material on each album, but they okay, just... Death I do Magnetic. Bands, I don't
4: okay, mean. if you get rid of Load, Reload and Sane Anger, Death Magnetic was fantastic great up there with the black album.
2: I don't I don't even mind uh Load. I thought Load had some some great stuff on it and some of that stuff is a departure like uh is it is the track called Mama Said and it's like it's almost like a country tune yeah. and I'm like that that's a great song and I know that's a far departure from their their usual sound but I'm okay when bands depart. I just uh, maybe I, you know what i will i will revisit <laughs> that, 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 and, and then we will, uh, we will talk i think it's just that snare sound i couldn't get over oh, when that, I first that, that, to the, it oh yeah. that the same <laughs> yeah. anger
4: snare was the, terrible oh, that yeah, yeah, of, that's what it was that sound well see, even lars he, uh, he was in an interview and he had a, he was i think they were getting ready to go out on stage and he had a snare there and he threw the snares off and he was hitting it and he goes, This is the sound of saying anger. That's no money, unhappy, nobody had fun. Then he turned then he flipped the drum and he hits it and he goes, This is death Madden, death magnetic. Everybody's making all kinds of money. It's good music again. And I went
2: yes. I thought that I saw I mean I'm I'm a I'm a big Metallica fan and, and two of the the things that I love I always love watching like the behind the scenes of an industry. And I think their documentary, A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, where they filmed from the beginning of the making of the Black Album to the end of the world tour of the Black Album, was, was a phenomenal, like... Look, and I liked that those guys, and even in the Some Kind of Monster, where they're like, turn the cameras on, use whatever you want, good or bad, just like, you know, tell the honest story. That That... <laughs>
4: some kind of monster that just shows you the egomaniac that Lars really is
2: and some, is. some kind of monster has a few uh, a few good stories well even their, their therapist is like the real monster at that <laughs> um, but yeah it's just I always find like those unbelievably true stories but I think it's you know, for me, it was always growing up. It's like watching these things and seeing these honest documentaries. Like, like when I when I first saw Lost in La Mancha, you've seen that the the Terry Gilliam, the, the when he's trying to make his Don Quixote movie and it just falls apart, and they had the behind the scenes cameras filming the making of the movie, so they ended up filming the unmaking of the movie. Essentially, and made this documentary. But it's very honest and heartbreaking. You know, they had sixteen million in Johnny Depp and couldn't get the film finished. And after every film we make, like Scarehouse, House, my, my first film years ago, like we watched that documentary and we're like, Man, it's like we should just all feel very blessed we got to the finish line because <laughs> you know, giant giant films of you know, you look at like a a Hobbit where it took them ten years to get over rights issues and things like that. And it's just it's just maddening to think that uh You know, if an indie film gets completed, let alone is is good or enjoyed by people, that is I mean, that being enjoyed, that's a whole other thing. Finishing it, that's an accomplishment on its on its own because even some of the biggest studios have trouble like getting to the finish line.
4: Now, is that have something to do in part of the way technology has advanced advanced to the point where you can throw stuff on a Mac and edit and do all your cutting at home where you don't have to get into the big studio
2: system. I think it's definitely it's definitely more affordable you know any anyone with a couple thousand dollars can buy you know, a laptop and a, a digital video camera, and that—that's all you need because that that laptop is the toolbox. You can learn, you know, your 3D animation, your title making. You can you can do your sound mixing. You can learn everything on your own and do a movie completely versus having to rely on experts. Now, that being said, you know you're probably going to want to hire a sound mixer who specializes in that. Unless you, you know, there's there's rarely a chance that you're going to have a knack for all of it like like our short films i will sort of do all of the the post production the sound mixing and stuff i would never trust myself to to take that on plus plus just the time commitment you know your yeah. film would take three years to, to finish out, yeah. versus um you know whatever it is you know a couple months to finish it yeah
4: that's, you kind of you're feeling that
3: there rob yeah that's our film right now heart's journey <laughs> it's been forever
2: hey. You're a one man. I mean, well, it's hard too. You know what the independent thing when you're not when you're not getting paid to do it it's 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 a real like you know because I I I remember doing my first film thinking I had no idea what it would take to get to the finish line. I'm actually working on a documentary called The Sundance Kids, which is about five filmmakers that I know, Mike Carrier included, um, who who you folks know well about (laughs) people who went to make their first film and had the shittiest time making it that i've ever heard of or or seen documented anywhere and you know most of us you know myself included back in 2003 i made my first film like an idiot and when i look back now i think everybody says i'm going to make this movie i'm going to put it in sundance just like kevin smith <laughs> and and i'm going to spend 25 grand of my own money on it and then my whole life is just going to change you know so the the reality is several steps one winning Sundance and getting the million dollar deal almost doesn't exist anymore let alone is to to win Sundance your film has to be amazing to get into Sundance your film has to be amazing and then to finish the film just finish the film there's a whole other like legwork and how many years of your life and you know, girlfriends and second mortgages and everything else that you'll go through to get there. Um, so this this documentary sort of follows these five filmmakers that went through absolute hell, still finished the film, and then woke up and said, oh, yeah, I still want to keep going in this industry and have managed to find some some level of success continuing on. So I want it to be part sort of like, like these stories are like, it's, it's one of these like, you, you can't believe, it's like Ripley's Believe It or Not, You Can't Believe These Stories Are True. But at the same time, I, th- I think it's a bit of like a motivational thing for other filmmakers out there to sort of really examine what it takes to, to make it. And we all have our Sundance rejection letters from, from these <laughs> films. <laughs> so that would be the poster. Or yeah.
3: That would be wicked. Now, so you've actually started doing footage on that, or is it still in the... Yeah,
2: well, because for, for me, it was an easy documentary. I, I just have to do finish up the interviews for it because, you know, all of us were, like, shooting behind-the-scenes footage of the movies. The movies are finished, and there's all the set photos and everything. So all the sort of B-roll and the, the secondary footage is there. It's just completely, you on know, the talking head interviews, you know. And I, I want to approach some, some indie film icons that have went... Like, you know, I, I constantly say and it worked out great for him, but like, you know, uh, like Kevin Smith is the false prophet, right? Because he's, he's the one that we all looked at or Robert Rodriguez said, we can just do exactly what they did. It's like, well, no, they, they had massive amounts of talent. They had something that no one else had seen before at the right time. And, and, you know, every year that like you, you were saying technology gets easier. The marketplace is just more and more flooded with people trying to make films. You know, the real trick is to, make an incredible script and then no matter what level the production turns out an incredible story will still manage to to find an audience you know uh and again i use clerks as that reference all the time it doesn't particularly look pretty you know some of the acting is arguable if it's great or not (laughs) um you know that the sound design isn't wonderful it's all all just very basic and you can like you can tell it's one of the most iconic like this was made for no money kind of films um but the story is so amazing and the characters are relatable and 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 to me that was the first time i'd really seen crass humor like that in a in a movie you know that's pre south park so when i was in high school watching that i was like damn this is this is something different i've never seen this before yeah
4: that is true it's been forever since i've seen clerks i got that on pretty heavy rotation on the stuff that i watch it's it's just something like i said if i'm if I need background noise, I can put it in, but it does it goes instantly from background noise to me paying attention to it because that's I, I, I found a connection to it somehow because I did work in a convenience store. So there's my con- my connection. I, went, I feel these guys. I know what these guys have gone through. and See, that's I can't put in things for background noise anymore either because I work out the same way.
3: Like I'll be writing or doing something. I'll toss a movie in and 10 minutes later I'm staring at the screen. And, and writing's gone, you know?
2: Actually, TV for me is like that, where I'm like, I try to stay current, even, you know, because I've, I've got a couple TV projects I'm trying to pitch, so shows that I would never normally watch, um, trying to think of like Parenthood or whatever, I, I just kind of want to see a little bit, watch one season of everything that's on, and those I'll kind of half-watch while I'm... Just doing, like, emailing or, you know, right now I'm doing my green card process for, for here in the U.S. So it's just a ton of filing gathering press and things like that. So it's, it was sort of more mindless activities. I can half watch a TV show, but otherwise I, I want to be paying attention, you know, especially these shows – so much happens so fast. And, like, if you're watching, like, a 24 or, a, oh, you yeah. know, um, like, all the, all these shows, like, House of Cards, that is so detail-oriented, and if you don't know what's going on, you, you look away for five minutes and you're lost, you know? It's like backup,
3: backup. What did I miss? Or
2: Ga- Game of Thrones. Every time a new episode comes on on Sunday, I have to, like, okay, I got to get a recap because I, I don't remember who <laughs> these characters are.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I, I've given up on watching... Episodic TV. I'll just wait until the season comes out on
2: Blu-ray and then I'll watch it that mm-hmm. way. Because but don't you find I find with that like you know I did the last season of House of Cards like I think Sarah and I watched it a couple days. And I'm like, but I couldn't tell you anything that happened in that season other yeah. than the basic premise because it's just a it's a blur. So there's no no absorption factor. Well, going versus week to week.
4: I okay when Daredevil came out on Netflix these mm-hmm. these guys burned through it real fast. I know Jason watched it. Two days. Two days. I actually spaced it out. I'd watch two episodes, then give myself a couple days to let everything absorb. Yep. And I, I, I think I got more out of it, like giving myself the the chance to analyze two episodes. Sure. Yeah. Then instead of burning all the way through it, because I,
2: saw, I watched it. I watched it. I actually. I found the show the show was a little too slow paced for me. I watched I watched it all, but I ended up watching some of the episodes like breaking it up, where I watched it half an hour, and then a couple of days later I'd watch the rest of it. Like, um, and and slow's fine. Like the slow burn is, is great in so many movies and shows, but that one in particular, I was just like, there was just. I think, and I love Vincent D'Onofrio. I, I just went to go see Full Metal Jacket on the big screen again out here. I but saw those every tickets. single thing that he had to say yeah. in that show <laughs> was like passing a hard bell, <laughs> and that would be like this chicken is. Delicious, don't you think? (laughs) It is from the city that I am trying to build. And I'm like, like, okay. That's that's gravitas right there. (laughs) (laughs) But But for every line, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the the Dark Knight where Batman, you know, they they created this Batman voice and (laughs) and Batman begins and then, oh, well, we should stick with it. And then it's like, oh, don't give him monologues.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. On the rooftop with, uh, Catwoman. Oh, that's what that's like. Oh.
2: You're alone. Why are you still <laughs> using the voice? <laughs> well, that, no, even worse is the Dark Knight when it's like, there's that poignant moment when when um uh, Morgan Freeman's character sort of sees how he's using the technology they've created to spy on everybody. It's this NSA parallel and everything else, and you know it's this really kind of like, "Are you going too far?" moment. And he he's talking to Morgan Freeman in the voice. I'm like, Morgan Freeman knows who you are. He do <laughs> you with everything you. And I, I always thought like that scene if he would have just been Bruce in the suit with Morgan Morgan Freeman would have made it a lot more like human and him kind of realizing that maybe this is too far. But but Bat- Batman, great movie.
4: Batman yeah. is <laughs> human, though. I, I, I'm starting to believe that Bruce Wayne is the disguise, and the Batman is Batman's real. Batman's the real one? Yeah. See, there's that been that. Is. That has been tossed around
3: for a long time. The
4: more the more these movies come out, the more comic books that I read, Batman is real, Bruce Wayne is the disguise. It's the
2: disguise. Yeah. Kind of like Superman, Clark Kent in that sense. Yeah. yeah.
4: Hmm. Okay.
2: All right. It's marathon time. I gotta go One rewatch them. All. I'll pick it.
3: Well, um, I know we finally got Mike to watch a movie, and I asked you if, if you would watch it too. You watched Compound Fracture.
2: I was not able to watch. it. You couldn't it. find it. Oh, oh no. no. Yes, I was not able to watch it. I tried scanning VOD and everything here, and but I'm also like. The U.S. has so many viewing options for things, so trying to scan through them all is a little bit a little bit troublesome.
4: Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Damn you, selection.
3: <laughs> well, no. I know because there's some stuff that I see on Netflix that you can't see anywhere else, but then there's stuff on Show Me and there's stuff on Roku. Everybody tries to have their own special content. And in that respect, it makes it so you have to search absolutely everything to find something. Because
4: everybody's trying yeah. to follow the Netflix model now, so like Amazon Prime and or whatever the one that Amazon's doing, they they're falling. They're starting to make original content as well.
2: I did uh, I did research the film. You know, there's things like you know, I obviously I've seen Tyler May and his big appearances and stuff, but had didn't realize that he'd moved into writing and producing films and you know uh, like the director is his name's Anthony Anthony correct AJ
4: yeah um, AJ yeah.
2: yeah um he like you know I look at his IMDb and he's got 4000 movies on the go like at one time like so these these are people that I like just even researching the film I super respect because it it looks like they're they're busy as hell and really pushing as as hard as they can
4: yeah because when we brought Tyler in for the uh, the CKX I think he was in Manitoba shooting and he got the weekend off to come do the convention then he had to fly right back out he was picking up production again
2: Is he is he Canadian in Oregon? He was born in
4: Saskatoon. Saskatoon, yeah.
2: So that's how like uh, I imagine like the first X-Men movie when they were when they were casting in Vancouver and stuff he, he probably ended up and they get they get all that wonderful tax credit money. They cast Canadians. So, oh,
1: yeah. You know. <laughs>
3: yep. But, yeah, yeah. Um, we did the interview with the Tyler Mayne. He was talking about how he got Derek Mears involved because they're, okay. they're drinking buddies. Right? Oh, hilarious. He, he specifically said they live within staggering distance of each other. Yep. And
2: they've tested That's funny. That. <laughs> and I imagine they end up at all kinds of cons and everything together as well. So, you yeah. know.
1: And it's mentioning like, Derek Mears, I'm finishing the last season of Chuck. I had to take a break from X-Files for a bit because I'm still in the fifth season of X-Files for the first time. And uh, so I'm in the last that's season. As far,
2: that's as far as I got. So I, I haven't... I. Uh, I I'm determined to get through X
1: Files before the uh, the the revisit comes the up. Re-release, yeah. yeah. So Derek Mears was in an episode of Chuck in the last season. Oh, and it's like right? hey, I know that guy. No, you, no, you don't. <laughs> well, you
3: know, I know of, I know of him. yes. You know I, him. Of him. <laughs> I recognize him. Yeah. That's it. That's <laughs> a show I haven't. It's seen. It's crazy. Almost.
2: Like you know, grow, growing up to me, it was always just, uh, so Kevin Michael Hall who played the Predator, and yeah, know, it was, like he, he was like you know, him and then Kane Hodder became like the face, like in Fangoria, like, like. and I mean, Robert England's a little more because he, you know, is mostly his actual face in, yep. in the movie versus i under a mask. So it's, it's crazy to me how many of these guys get these, these great sort of, you know, icon positions and, and uh, are just beloved by their fans and, and can forever are a little bit timeless going to these conventions and whatnot. You know, it's a, I think you only really get that in, in genre of material,
4: you know? Yeah. Well, said we went to a horror con, and there was guys the same thing. The uh, Ed Keaton, the guy that played the hitchhiker in Texas oh, Chainsaw Oh, Ed, Ed Ma- Neal. Ed Neal, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, the hitchhiker in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, jeez. Okay. I forgot all about him, but <laughs> he had a line at his table. People, oh, you were great in that movie. I'm going, I don't. Think so, but he he does a
3: ton of voice acting as well. Yeah, he was Doctor Claw and Inspector Gadget.
2: No kidding.
3: Yeah, and uh, the fun part that we brought up during our uh, interview—he's also in JFK, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Really? And he's one of the interrogators for Julie Mercer. When she says that she saw Jack Ruby on the Knoll the day before, you know, dropping off people and they had guns. And and he's like, no, you didn't. You didn't see anything. He's telling us the story, how he got hired. He goes, I wasn't hired for my acting ability. I was hired because Oliver Stone wanted to talk to me about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because as soon as he got on the set, that's all it was, was questions after, how did you do this shot? And what was all this about? And, (laughs) you know, he goes, he wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs>
2: I, uh, I, I, years ago I used to do video production for, uh, WDRQ, uh, 93 1 Detroit, when it was the J Towers and the Morning
3: Revolution. <laughs> and, uh,
2: I, I think he's a Detroit news anchor now, isn't he, or something, or like wow. weekend correspondent. But they had, they had Gunnar Hansen in the studio one day. So I was like, my, my thing was I would, this, I mean, this is, around 2003 or four, So I would go in and be like the web video guy whenever they had celebrities in. Like I get to film a Bon Jovi acoustic thing and there were like some cool gigs. And they had Gunnar Hansen coming in. I don't think anyone there knew who he was or really anything. I'm like, oh my, I want to go meet him. That's cool. Yeah. Text Jason on Masker. And he was just like in the middle of the interview. They'd be interviewing him stuff and he would just keep doing that, Like making noises into the mic. And they were all just like, this is- guy crazy. Aware. I'm like, you don't, that's his shtick. You don't, you know, you know? And I guess <laughs> yeah. the only one appreciating the interview, it was the brownies. Oh yeah.
1: He's the cookie guy, the cookies, yeah. sorry, yeah. cookies, not brownies.
4: Yeah. Ed told us a very, uh, <laughs> a, a, a day of shooting, I guess somebody brought in a, a plate full of, uh, special brownies and left them in one of the trailers and oh, geez. yeah. And Gunner got into them. And he ate all of them. He yeah, ate, he ate them.
3: one going, hmm, that's pretty good and he started eating more and more. And then he came in, the plates empty, there's crumbs all over. It was, Where'd all the cookies go? Yeah, in production oh, no. got shut
2: down for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's funny. I had uh last night at the the premiere I had the opportunity to meet and chat with Bob Shea a little bit and he had a he had a great anecdote about making you know, I told him Nightmare on Elm Street's probably like the first horror movie I really saw and, and fell in love with and and he told me a great story that you know, there's the famous alley scene with Freddie in his arms, like yeah. going out. They they didn't have an alley. It was like the day of production, and because they were so low budget and running gun, and like just like just like we all start just trying to uh, make it happen. And he said that Wes uh, Craven was getting so irate and and upset. And he just walked over and said, "Are you the producer?" Are you the producer? Said, yes, I'm the producer. Then produce me a fucking
0: alley. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
2: when I, that's when I knew I, as a producer I've got to just provide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I see.
4: So did you uh, get a chance to watch Wasted? I know Rob sent you a... Uh... I
2: did. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's part of the, uh, the syndicate thing this year?
4: Yes. Yeah. So
2: and I, now these guys, do they have a series as well as this pitch? Because I, I just saw on the YouTube channel that said Wasted the Series was the, the page that it was on.
3: That's the plan that they have.
2: Oh, okay, so this is, so Cinecoop, I thought Cinecoop was for films only, but it can be for web series or TV as well?
3: That's what I'm guessing, unless...
2: Well, there's, we'll, you know, there's so many of these contest things, because there's another one, the Independent Producers Fund, the IPF Challenge as well, so... So the, I mean, the idea to me looked like it's, it's like a workaholic stoner comedy versus, versus the dead. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Basically. Like yeah, I was thinking about that too on the way over and I'm going, okay, this is the conversation everybody's ever had with all their friends sitting around either drunk or stoned or a combination of the two. What would you do during the zombie apocalypse? And these guys I've, just.
2: I tried, to, I tried a couple of years ago to pitch a reality show of like, you know, regular people versus famous zombie scenarios. Because I think, every, yeah, everybody's like, how would I survive? What weapons would I take? Where yeah. would I go? And, you know, and and everybody has a little bit of bravado to it. Like, oh, fuck you. I could survive the apocalypse. You wouldn't last yeah. a day. It's like, prove it, you know? Yeah.
4: Well, they said they tried that with that, was it Preppers, that TV show about the. Uh, I don't know. I don't think like the preparing for
2: the end of the world. Yeah,
4: there was like the they're, they're talking about these people getting ready for like an economic meltdown or a natural disaster. And how would they survive? But I, they didn't put the scenario of the zombies in there. But I like your idea where you could recreate some of the the classic movie. Put like find an, an abandoned mall someplace and put a group of people in there and have a, a horde of zombies. And how would they survive
2: that? That would be wicked, crazy. Um, I, well, I, I, I did like, I like, I like the concept. I like the graphics and the scenarios because I, it's got a, you know, it's got a bit of like an independent uh, Edgar Wright. There's, there's obviously some Shaun of the Dead influence in yeah. there and in the, in the comedy and the, you know, so I think, I think all that and especially that they spell out all the scenarios. They, they spell out in that Stoner conversation and. It, I imagine I I thought they should shoot that more like that seventies show with the camera like rotating around <laughs> in the basement of all the guys. That and, would be cool. You know. And uh you know, so they sort of set up what each character is in that. This is the guy who just thinks guns and, and ammo is gonna win the day. This is the guy who's got some some you know, camping survivalist skills. Was you know, care. this is the guy who's better off in an office behind a computer that's <laughs> probably gonna be the first one to go. So I like that you get the introduction to what what everybody's sort of take on it is. So they just they spell it out instantly. Versus, you know, you watch The Walking Dead or any zombie movie, you sort of learn who has what skill sets and how they're going to work together as it evolves. This one, they just spell it out for you. And then the adventure is sort of watching how these different skill sets are going to all... I, I imagine it plays out that they all end up having to work together, that none of them on their own has the right answer. And they all sort of ultimately need each other to, to survive.
3: Well, I liked how when I was watching it, they start out with that TV show. And I was actually getting right into it, and then it cuts yeah. out, and it's like, okay, that's interesting. And then they start talking about the first aid kit, and then the graphics come up. The first aid kit is going kind to of yeah, the band-aids, yeah. and it starts doing this fall-down effect with all the band-aids, the cotton balls, and the whole thing. It kind of sets up for how that whole thing goes for the rest of the show. And uh, I like that aspect of it, you know?
2: Yeah, I thought the and, – and the – the lead actor, when he comes out of the house at the end with his, his, his skull bandana and everything, he he totally gave me like a, a bit of like an Adam Sandler kind of comedy vibe, you know, in his, <laughs> in his dialogue here.
4: I still like um, the couple of the lines, he goes, the, the lead, he goes, he goes, yeah, we're going to get a couple AK-47s, and his one friend goes, where are you going to get an AK-47? <laughs> 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 just go to a gun store. <laughs> I was like, oh, just yeah. that easy, huh? And then he comes just out with... <laughs> At the end, he comes out with an AK. Yeah, he's just got Oh, he did it. have yeah. one, did, too, didn't, didn't he? he. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going have my samurai sword and my AK-47. And I'm going to kick zombie ass. Where did he get that AK-47? The Black Market over in Buffalo. Now i got to watch it again.
2: If you if you had an AK-47 hidden in your bedroom closet, would you tell a lot of your friends about it, or would you just let that uh I'm going to it sit, because I can't trust
3: these two. <laughs> what? <laughs> I would so keep your secret.
2: I feel like there's a, a gun bubble. case of AK-47s just slightly off this. What are you of afraid of? I, of I can't I see. Know, you know? No, 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 fight.
3: no. I don't. We don't have that anymore.
4: <laughs> yeah. What, what am I afraid? of? I'm the one with the AK-47. Mike's still on the
3: AK-47. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. How, so where, where are these guys based at? Is this this is Canada wide, or Cinecoops only Ontario, or?
3: No, as far as I know, it's nationwide. Okay. Um, I think these guys are actually from the states.
2: It's the Wolf Cop guys that won it last year, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think Wolf Cop was the first year. This is the second year. Yep. If I remember correctly. I, I think
2: it's
4: wrong. Isn't it, I thought it was a Canadian thing. Is it? I think it's a it is, Canadian. It, is, it is Canada. I'm yeah.
2: Pretty it's, sure it's, ca-
4: it's Canadian-wide um, because Canadian or Wolf Cop was a Canadian production. Okay. I'm I just, not, yeah. I'm fairly certain it's just straight up all Canadian. I'm just trying to pull up their emails. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not working. Oh, there we go. Oh, that figures. So, other than the uh, the doc for Sundance Kids, what else you got uh, going on?
2: Uh, just pitch pitching away like mad out here. Um, you know, having having an agent and managers making it a little easier to kind of get into to the right place. I've actually got a pitch uh, and meeting right after this down in Santa Monica with the uh, the folks behind. Um, john wick and the town and, and a few other movies like that and and you yeah, and that's the game just like hey here's my next couple ideas so it's never i don't, I don't know if it jinxes it to kind of talk about it i, I have a, a soldier film that we were looking at originally shooting this year but in order to do the green card part, part of the green card process of applying from america is uh, i am now essentially a prisoner of the united states until they grant me travel rights so oh really <laughs> uh yeah so i'm i'm here for a while. So I'm not going to come and shoot that. And this is something I've been kind of like figuring out when I was going to make, make the full-time move. So it's just a dig my heels in and get it over with. Yeah. So, but it's great. Cause it, it's a lot of this, this is the most sort of unemployed that I've been in a long time where I can't take, you know, I can't work here and I can't, I can't travel back home to do work. So I've, but, uh, I've got some music videos I shot earlier in the year that I'm editing, and then just sort of writing and prepping uh, a bunch of stuff. I just signed on to direct a short horror film for some pretty cool guys that we'll, we'll announce shortly. It's, it's all that. Don't want to jinx it until it's, it's real yeah, stuff, absolutely. so I can't, can't share too many, many titles <laughs> or no, no, no names.
0: Well, that.
4: Um,
2: And then just just party crashing, just crashing all these premieres and whatnot out here.
4: So you keep posting all these uh, the pictures of the sweet movie theaters that you keep going to. You and Sarah keep taking on all these awesome uh, movies.
2: Well, it was great. You know, we got to see. You know, last night was at the Man's Chinese Theater, which obviously for me burned into my brain is that iconic Star Wars image of of just the lineups around the block the day that it opened there. And so that was in the big main auditorium. But even cooler than that, last night was on Tuesday night. We went to go see at the Chinese Theater, one of, one of the smaller auditoriums. There was a festival called Dances with Films, and, and some friends of ours from back home in Toronto uh, had a movie called Barn Wedding. That they, you know, they shot this thing, you know, on the cheap. Could I don't know what their budget was. If it was more than fifteen or twenty thousand, I'd be shocked. But their their U.S. premiere was at the Dances with Films festival at the Chinese theater, and I'm like, that is the coolest wow, nice. thing for the filmmaker ever. You know, I kept talking to everybody, like, what do you think of the film? I'm like, I'll tell you about that later. You just had your <laughs> your <laughs> first film premiere at the, uh, at the Man's Chinese Theater. Well, that is uh, such
4: an iconic front of a building that the, the oh, Chinese
1: Theater, so I haven't seen a film there, but I have been there. I've put my hand in some of those iconic cement blocks and whatnot, oh. you know, all those handprints and footprints and blah, blah, blah. I just pulled this up. Um, it
3: looks like they're from the Kitchener area. Oh, okay. The people that did
2: the oh, waste. Very oh. Well, yeah. I mean, Kitchener is like the heart of Canadian horror films right now, is it? No, that's where the, like, uh, Chad Archibald and the, and the, the Black Fawn guys are knocking out a, oh, a new horror right. movie exactly. every month on their deal. And, um, I actually just did, uh, did a script rewrite for a film called Dead Rush. Um, Zach Ramelin uh, it was a short film being turned into a feature. He was part of Late Night double feature as well uh, you know they shot their scenes in in like the Kitchener Guelph area and but uh, that, yeah that, that region seems to be taken off for Canadian horror
4: I just, we just I just powered through was it, uh, four four movies from Black Fawn and I just watched just watched the door and it was such a well done movie and I had a lot of fun with that movie. I liked it. A lot too. Yeah, because
2: they, well, those I mean, those guys are smart. and I, I talk about them all the time, podcasts and stuff. I mean, you know, technically everyone's your competition, right? Because we're all trying to do the same thing, and there's only so much screen space. But the one thing I love about the Canadian film industry, particularly the sort of like Toronto and Greater Toronto area, including Kitchener and Guelph, is everyone like is incredibly supportive to promote each other's films, and and those guys are just on fire. You know, they've got this eight picture deal. They had so much success with uh, anti-social, and you know, and then they started their own DVD and home video distribution. So they're also in the game of helping other small films yep. get out there. And you know, you just can't find anybody that says bad things about you know the guys involved, and and they just really have like it, it's all passion, and they were all filmmakers first before they became sort of producers in, in this business model. So I, I definitely look up to them. I, th- I think everything they're, they're doing is pretty incredible. And then I, you know, I have so many friends that work in the camera department or get casts in those films. And, um, it's all, it's all, even, even our short film to hell with love. We shot in like the Kitchener Guelph area too. We needed a, a dentist's office and that's where we got one.
4: <laughs> oh, nice. Well, <laughs> if it wasn't for black fawn, I wouldn't have watched the legend of the psychotic park ranger and, or the four, the legend of the psychotic forest ranger. ranger. Yes, just absolutely brilliant comedy. This is, you said, camp to uh, beat all camp movies. It was it was deliciously terrible.
2: I haven't. Uh, that is that is a title for all time. though. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the movie about? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a romance.
4: Oh yeah, Listen, it was. Oh, I. Another another really good Canadian flick, I don't know, I, I said I, I got my list. I just watched Beavers. I don't know if anybody's
2: familiar I, with that. I have it in my Netflix queue, in the U.S. Netflix queue here, because they have a new poster for it, which is like, it's a red background, it's a silhouette of a woman with her legs open in like a bikini, and the, the beaver coming in yes. between, I'm just like... Poster alone. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: It is brilliant. I can't bring myself to watch it. Oh, watch you it. should. Uh, Absolutely, the you zombie should. Zombieverse. Yep.
2: Have any of you guys seen It Follows yet? It Follows.
4: No. No.
2: It's the one about the demon that travels through an STD. What? It just—it was made for a couple million. It was going to be direct to video. They decided to put it out in theatrical, and it kind of blew. It's—it's this like indie indie horror film that's kind of like ended up making 16 million in theaters, and they delayed the, the Miramax picked it up. And uh, I've, I've been every time I try to catch it out here, it's always playing at these art house theaters and things. And I'm like, okay, we'll go Thursday night, but it's like, oh, it closed on Tuesday. And like, I've been trying to chase this film to find it. I think it just hit VOD and everything, but it, it got all this this buzz. So I just wonder if you guys it seen it yet it follows okay I'll have to look for mm. that one it's got some great 80s retro soundtrack I guess like see that's um, really
4: making a comeback is that 80s slasher style for the uh for the movie like the horror genre for for whatever reason is it nostalgia
2: or that well you know what there is um I I have a script that I I didn't write it's a talented writer named Devin Richards the script's called run slasher run which is revisiting the 80s slasher film but not nothing nothing is what you would think it's sort of got like a cabin in the woods like left (laughs) real sharp left turn
4: um
2: but I, i think it gives it something fresh you know and i think i know they're remaking friday the 13th again right now which isn't a sequel to the last remake and um i think it's gonna hit a wave you know screams a television series now they just put a that Picture of what I think is the terrible-looking mask yesterday, and have you seen it yet? The new, yet. The new ghost no. face? No, no, that bad. I don't huh? know. It's just hard hard to ingest because it it's, it looks more sort of like classic, and it, it looks less like the cheap dime store mask that made was sort of the fun of the original. You yeah, know? yeah.
4: That was that um, was for a, a cheap cheap mask. It, it did become iconic, and when you try to, I don't know. Ramp it up; it loses its.
2: It's like that when the, the the mask and Jason X, the chrome mask and stuff. It's <laughs> like, Ugh, uh, no. I love uh, that movie. I, wait, hold on. That movie took place on a spaceship, so let me just back up for a few steps
1: instead. <laughs> 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 I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. as far as and Jason.
2: 20, I do Todd like was like awesome. When the it. girl like gets her head put in like the the, the cryogenic liquid. Yeah, or, like, you know, like the liquid nitrogen. Nitrogen. Yeah, yep. that, that's a great kill.
4: <laughs> well, there's, said, I some of the different kills in all of the Friday the 13th movies. I remember was it was one of the ones Jason mashed somebody's face into the side of an RV in their face.
2: Oh yeah, just like the face coming out like it like was from the, of the other side from of the inside. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> that's um is that the black guy? Uh, we No, know that no, Sarah, cuz Sarah's friends Oh God! The name's telling me Craig something, but he's in uh he's in part seven, the one with uh, Manhattan with the um is that the one with the psychic powers where he fights the the oh. goal of the telekinetic powers? Oh.
1: Oh. Yeah, but that's back at the lake. Um, yeah, there was there was it was Manhattan. There were there were yeah, and there Just was the a there was a large uh, colored guy in there. He was a boxer. Because um, I remember yeah, his he dad, he's he boxing off, Jason, right? yeah. and then Jason just uppercuts and poof, his head goes flying and lands in a dumpster.
2: <laughs> I, I remember mean, that, that guy. That's <laughs> iconic. I remember that. You know. Um, and isn't it, isn't that isn't that right? Right after that, he looks up and sees the, the billboard with the hockey mask on it for the playoffs or something. Yeah, yeah, yep. And you get that sort of, you get that sort of groaner laugh out of it. You know. See, I, th- I'm trying. Is that
4: putting Jason in Manhattan? That okay? They I know they jump the shark a lot, but that is he. He's more of a forest character. Mm -hmm. I I think he does better in in the wood in Camp Crystal Lake than yes. I I just I just didn't feel that one. I don't know.
1: I liked him in space. I love Jason X. Okay, I (laughs) I. That movie gives me, just <laughs> I mean, it makes me giddy at times because it's so fun. And Tony Todd was great in it, damn it. <laughs> yeah, you're still going to go there, aren't you? <laughs> he's not explain there.
2: Craig, Craig Thomas is the actor. Um, he's, he lives in, between Toronto and L.A., so Sarah knows Tim through the, the theater thing. And I, I just got introduced to him one day, and I'm just like, you're in Friday the 13th? Like, I was just in mid-conversation with him, and uh-huh. I went, Wait a minute. <laughs>
3: I'm glad you found that. I've been sitting here searching, and I can't find seven.
2: You have to, if you're on IMDb, you have to it's type in the Friday the 13th part in the numeric seven is the only oh, way to get it to that's <laughs> Because
3: I'm hitting Friday the 13th, and, of course, it brings up two, three,
2: four. And, that's, so and I, I think... If anybody at IMDb listens to your podcast, fix your search. <laughs> if you don't type in the exact word. You can't get it to come up.
4: It's kind of defeats the purpose of a search feature.
2: It's <laughs> really like it's it's specific and it's difficult too because you know you type in like uh, Robert Sampson and you're like there's 400 Robert Sampsons so they need to they need a better way to sort of like make it easier to find people yeah
3: yeah just for fun i typed in seven and i got tons of, i got star wars
4: star wars
2: yeah i'm sure oh. if you just type in the number seven I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> <"Really>? <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which are we excited the new trailer everything that's happening with that movie nah. i am actually
1: nah well, i am the the, the did
3: one did thing did
2: you say that... not excited nah. because you're so burned from the last time no
1: no just not interested
2: just not a Star Wars fan? I'm kidding. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try and be first That's in line gonna, here, man. Fuck off. Right. <laughs> um, dressed as a yeah, fucking Wookiee. I have, I have a, few, a few sources on the inside, so I've, I've learned more than I should have ever known, but I, it, it's just made me excited because I'm, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic because I was so, so, as we all were, so burned by the last time around, yeah. but... I kind of wanted them to tell me the details that they could tell me because if I could absorb it now, then it won't be like a shock to the system when I go see it in the theater, you know, and I can – and again, like, I've heard a few people say, like, I want the movie to be good the seventh time I watch it, not the – the first is – it's going to be great, but the movie's going to hold up. So you already know the plot once you see it. And, it's like, and I always say, like, I saw Titanic, and I know what was going to happen. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, yeah. That one's <laughs> it's not really spoiling anything, but it, it it really looks like they're they're sort of getting everything right. And then this the Rogue One movie about the death, the, the, getting the Death Star plans. Like they are just. They are getting some because I, I thought about that movie. I'm like, the Emperor and Vader can be in it. They could be the the primary antagonist, You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's the Boba Fett movie. Maybe Boba mm-hmm. Fett is teamed up with this this rogue team. because I'm thinking if there's a Death Star being built, that's that's bad for the whole galaxy. So there's almost like a, like a UN thing where it's like we have to come together to stop this. You know.
3: See, I've I've heard rumors about the whole Boba Fett thing too, which kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. That they're too- don't do it. No.
2: Don't do it. Don't make it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, they're they're turning him into an office more than a person. That mm-hmm. the title Boba Fett isn't actually a person. It's just somebody in a
2: suit. I've heard I've heard that rumor that it would be like, but that, that was like the rumor to like correct the crappy backstory they gave him in in Episode Two, so that he would that. You know, Django Fett's son would have been killed, and somebody takes up the mantle, which gives us the Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett, just to erase that timeline. You know? See,
3: and that's where, oh, and here we're getting an expanded universe again. Yeah. <laughs> they explained that. Legends, legends. Yes, yes, legends. Okay. I'll get used to saying that one day. It's gotten to the point where at the very end of the series, it's like 40 years after Star Wars, Boba Fett is actually starting to die because his everything about him is a clone so everything's breaking wow. down so one of the books it's him trying to find one of these Kaminoans to, to reverse the whole process
2: oh okay which i thought was yeah a- i think I, I read a lot of the, a lot of the books you know and like I, I respect them for side shifting all that and i and i really do think they're going to cherry pick what they like out of those cuz there were some amazing villains and oh, some amazing yeah. plot lines and stuff you know like Grand Admiral Thrawn has to show up at some point, you exactly. know, like he's iconic, you know. Um, but I think, I don't know, but I, I respect it because if they tried to write movies in that timeline, they'd be screwed because oh. half the characters are dead anyways in a books. So. it's
1: so
3: tightly, tightly put together, like yeah. the, the, all those books, you know. It's hard to stick one in the middle.
2: I'll say one thing, and I know there's going to be some like Skywalker lineage and solo lineage probably, but I really would just love none of these new characters to be related to the old characters other than the fact that they're they're thrown into this adventure together. I hate the everything-has-to-connect sort of thing. It's a big galaxy. There's a chance that not everyone's related, you know? There
1: is that shot, yes. No, no, because for the longest time, Leia was the only woman around.
2: True. That is true.
1: Mon Mothma.
2: Ah, there you go. Who I think Felicity Jones is playing a young Mon Mothma back when she was like a badass trooper and leading... Because she's all about taking down the Death Stars and leading the rebellion. I truly... If you look at the actress from Return of the Jedi and Felicity Jones, both redheads, both proper British ladies side by side, I would put money on that's who her character is if they're going to tie it in to anyone because... I think it'll be about her she started as a trooper getting the first Death Star plans and then when they started to build a second one she's devoted her life as she's climbed military ranks to making sure this that makes taken sense. down. Yeah,
4: total makes that makes total sense. Oh speaking this of this is
2: making- all my I'm sending this podcast to Kathy Kathy Kennedy just so I can get one of these writing jobs. This is a spin here.
3: If this is going to her, then we have to push because I would love to see the novel Red Harvest made into a movie. I don't know that one. Oh, oh you did
4: lend me that yes. one. That was really
3: good. It's one of the two horror books that uh, I cannot remember the author's name that he wrote. And it's all it's, it takes place like 2,000 years before Star Wars at a Sith Academy planet. Oh, wow. And the one Sith Lord is trying to develop living forever. And he steals this flower that exudes force energy, mashes it up, makes this potion, and gives it to one of his students who immediately dies and then comes back to life. Oh, wow. It's like Resident Evil in Star Wars.
2: I'd be cool. You know, there's all these rumors like something do an old Republic movie. Like, all these anthology films. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you don't have to make a Han Solo movie. You don't have to make a Boba Fett movie. Like, there's so much else that you could could be doing with these films, you know? And I think everybody keeps thinking that all these, just because Rogue One, you know, takes place right before Episode 4, that all of the anthology films are going to be there but you know i think some of the i i would bet money that one of these anthology films will, will take place somewhere between episode six and seven and tell part of the story that that bridges those those 30 years
3: apparently one of the new novels does that as well those, yeah the,
2: the after, there's the aftermath trilogy coming out that yeah. does that yeah i think so those are exciting to me because i used to love read like when i discovered like the Timothy on trilogy when i picked up whatever that that first book was it's just at random when is the, in high school
1: heir to the empire Yep.
2: era of the Empire. That, and and I think for many people, that's the thing that revived, Star Wars never went away from being a popular movie, but that's the thing that, that was the first sort of, like, flicker of torchlight to keep the series going and build the expanded universe. It was really the first trigger of something larger and seeing, you know, all the video games and things from that point on start to tell the story, so... And, and, you know, for, for me, that's that's it's, it's always going to be a hard thing for me to separate the new movie from that story because it was so amazingly told.
3: Oh, I've read those novels. I don't know how many times. So, yeah. like you said, it's ingrained when when you start talking about it. Those are things that come back up to your mind.
4: Mm-hmm. You know. Well, did you? Did everybody here see the in canon announcement yesterday from the comic books, the Star Wars comic? Book?
2: Oh, that, that Han Solo has a, a black ex wife. No, his current wife. They're still married. According. Oh, in, oh, in that in, in canon, that's... yeah.
4: No, really. In oh. in the movies, in this like, they're talking about the comic books are considered in canon with the movies.
2: But I thought it was. I thought she's being introduced as his ex wife in that timeline.
4: She, she like, they, they had a couple panels Of the, the mm-hmm. comic book And she says I'm his wife So uh-huh. she doesn't say anything About ex-wife or anything like that Because she comes down and she's pointing A blaster at Leia and she goes Who the hell is this And Leia goes well, who the hell are you And she goes I'm his wife And Solo's off off panel shitting himself. It's probably very difficult to
1: serve divorce papers across the galaxy, especially in a war zone. Exactly.
2: You got you got to find them. Yeah. Why do you think you learned to do the the Kessel Run in (laughs) twelve (laughs) parsecs?
4: Just going out for a pack of smokes.
2: (laughs) We're going to learn that the Kessel Run is what they call going out for a pack of smokes. (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah. Wow. I'll have to. I I started. I'm just so there's so much material coming out so rapidly. I read the first couple issues of those comics, and I, again, it's like it's I like this idea that they have a, story, a focused story group now to make sure that all of this interconnects. And I did notice right like Star Wars issue one of this new comic, there was that character that in one of those making of videos where or Force for change videos where JJ standing there and the weird little Muppety kind of merchant walked by in the background. Mm-hmm. That character was in the comic. Just very briefly amongst all these other aliens, I was like, okay, this is smart. They're really going for broke and making sure this all all connects. Yeah. Well,
3: it turns out it might be X. Oh, okay. Because it says here, they talk about the drop, and it says that the latest edition ended with a hell of a cliffhanger. It turns out that Han Solo might have been married and not
4: to Leia. She seemed pretty Um. adamant that she was still married to uh, Han.
2: Well, that's the way they like to think.
4: Yeah. half yeah. the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> it's Lando's
1: sister, and that's the real reason Lando turned him over to the Empire. Oh, there we go. Mess really. with my sister. <laughs> I find well, out. There you go.
3: Tomorrow we're going to be in Niagara Falls, and we'll see Billy D. Williams. So I'm going to ask him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he there? He's at the the Niagara Falls Comic yeah. Con. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I, I have. Here's here's my theory. I think. Oh, I don't know. Is your show full of spoilers? Can I say whatever I you want? You can say whatever it? you want. Spoiler. I I think, I think I think everybody agrees. They're gonna. There's going to be the death of Captain Solo in Episode Seven. Possibly That's... the loss of the Millennium Falcon forever. And I I in my mind I'm like, well, that would. I know Billy Dee Williams isn't in this one, but something will trigger him to like. Lend forces, or or you know, you know, come back, get folded back into the, the, um, the rebellion or the rebels or whatever they're called now, the, the, the resistance, resistance, and 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 help help them in in you know tribute to to his fallen friend. Well, it seems
3: like that's what his character does because he kind of yeah. turned on him. I know, I know
4: what it is. What is an it? army of robots. An army of robots. There we go. <laughs>
2: Yeah, which will probably now be a Beats headphone special again. A <laughs> <laughs> lowbot. Yeah.
3: Well, they got the Nike Stormtrooper helmet, so uh, don't forget the Ugnaughts. Oh yeah, the
4: Ugnaughts.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta gotta have more more short people in these movies. Right? <laughs> Christine Davis go. will play all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys are going to the, uh, the. Make sure you stop by the Anchor Booth, the Anchor Bay Booth, and say, "Do you know Robin Susan from Anchor Bay, Canada?"
3: Robin Susan. No.
2: Are they going to be there? Rob Herzold and Susan Kern, yeah, well, I, I know Rob's going to be there at the Comic Con. So I imagine Anchor Bay will have a booth set up. But
3: oh, excellent! Okay. okay, no, I didn't realize they were going
2: to be there. Those <laughs> are great people and, and amazing horror people. So really, shout out Rob, Susan, if you're <laughs> listening somewhere on your way to Niagara.
3: I'll make sure they get
2: a link of this.
1: Oh yeah, yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I chat with them all the time. They're they're again they're staples in the in the Toronto horror community of all always being giving and generous and trying to connect people that should be working together. And, uh, again, that's why I love, I love Toronto. I'm sure it's the same out here. I just don't know enough people out here yet, so I don't want to no crap word. on any other city.
3: <laughs> Apparently you're going to have time to meet people now though. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I you- have nothing to do. Who wants to go for coffee? Yeah. There. Well,
3: When I was, I took my son to see Avengers a couple nights ago. They had the Cineplex magazine. I don't even know what it's called anymore. Cineplex magazine. Oh, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it used to be called Premiere and then Famous and all that stuff. Um, Right in the middle, almost, they have a two-page thing about Star Wars clues. And uh, they, I don't know why, which clues? They, they have a picture of Han, and they talk about his vest. They said in the first movie, it's a vest. The second movie, it's a jacket. The third movie, it's a vest. And now it's the fourth movie, it's a jacket again. Don't know why that's newsworthy,
2: but it's in there. Star Wars fans will mine anything. (laughs) I do love that. I did just see like last year something about that. That when, when Lando is in Return of the Jedi flying the Millennium Falcon, he's wearing Han's clothes. He's got the vest and the shirt on. Yep. It's the exact same clothes.
4: Maybe it's like a pressure suit vest that you need for flying the Falcon. Maybe it's that's a
2: smuggler's it. uniform. That's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I have to look.
4: Now was uh, Nine Nub wearing a uh, a vest? <laughs> that's the that's the thing right oh, there. Furry bodysuit. <laughs>
2: no, I'm, I'm just laughing because I know the name, so I shouldn't know. This is information I shouldn't know. It shouldn't have stored in my brain, but I know. Wow. So just Get a lot of dialogue. <laughs> hey,
5: hey, 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 hey. It's at the, end of,
2: yeah. <laughs> That's the, the f- end of Empire.
1: End of Empire? At the end of Oh, Empire. I'm looking at Return of the Jedi.
3: Yes. <laughs> no. At the end of Empire. No, when in Return Lando of the Jedi, he's got some kind of weird Battlestar Galactica outfit on.
4: Well, okay. The reason he's got a jacket on for the fourth one, he's old and he's cold. Yes. He's an
2: old man. He had the he jacket, jacket on in the it's second chilly. one
1: because they were on Hoth, where it's
4: yeah. cold, it's chilly.
2: So far, I think all the uh, all the costumes and everything look great. I had, uh, I, I acquire things from time to time, and I've seen what Princess Leia's outfit looks like in this movie too, um, and it, it's it's so classic. It fits right in with everything else. So oh, I, I just love that they're sort of nailing this movie and really trying to like with you know i feel like they're getting everything right versus the like oh it has to be just like the the originals because that's what people want like it's in that world but it's its own thing at the same time
3: well and george said too like i i didn't mind the tril- the, the prequel trilogy okay it's not the best i will
2: be the first to admit that but i didn't mind i like that. i like the story of the prequels i just don't like the execution of the movie there we go so, okay, okay. Yeah. why don't you two
4: just say Jar Jar and get it out of the way. No, no, it's not even Jar Jar. There's a lot more to it
2: than that. But
3: every time people brought it up to George Lucas, he would go, well, this is the story. This is what has to be told. Mm -hmm. Disney is now taking it and going, okay, this is what people like. So this is what we will make the story become. Which... It's
2: yeah. It's. it's I mean, we'll all December will all be the judges of what how how it plays out. But I think you know, there's there's a lot riding on this because this if this movie can break a billion, one point five billion, you know, Disney gets to kind of write themselves checks for the next decade doing this. But if it's anywhere close to lackluster or like Tomorrowland realm, where it's just this eh, kind of movie experience, there. They lose all of that steam and momentum.
4: Not oh. to mention what it'll do for everything coming up. Mm, okay, like, they yeah. have a crashed motherfucking star destroyer <laughs> on Tatooine. It's not Tatooine. It's, not, Tatooine. not
2: Tatooine. it's a different planet.
4: Oh, another
2: desert planet? Yes. Oh, for fuck's sake, Jakku, I think it's called. But the backstory to that planet apparently is that 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 ship crashed in a battle, and the only people who live on that planet are the Imperials who survived that crash and have now had to make base camp because the Empire, the empire basically abandoned them. There's no, there no way to get in touch. Yet.
4: This is a
2: Japanese soldier
4: that they find on a Pacific island 80 <laughs> years after World War Two. Do you know what else it there is? is? There's, a, there's a book called Heir to the Force, the very
3: first book in the series called The Young Jedi Knights, where Janna and Jason go to this planet. They get shot down on a planet where a TIE fighter was shot down during the battle of Yavin. And he oh, hasn't wow. had any contact with anybody. It's <laughs> the same. It's the same
2: story. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Cause apparently that's what, I think that's what Max von Sydow's character plays. <laughs> He's like the, he was the Imperial commander and now is sort of like the, you know, the unwilling, but just the per- per- took up the reins to be like the village leader of all of these, you know, abandoned Imperial soldiers.
1: That is an excellent story. Idea. Is he blue-skinned with red eyes?
2: That would be great if he is, yeah.
4: <laughs>
2: no, I don't think he is, though.
4: <laughs> I can't picture Max wearing contacts at all. Okay, and I'm still surprised Max von Sydow is still alive because <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've got the original Conan Blu-ray, oh, geez. and I'm looking. hey, Max von Sydow doesn't look exactly young.
2: In that movie, well, he was old and strange brew, and that's ah, you know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god,
3: I forgot he was in that.
2: <laughs> now the brewmaster.
1: <laughs> this whole the the argument, if you will, between originals and prequels and whatnot. In Chuck, in, in this last season, his best friend got the computer thing in his head, and it messed with his head so that he lost his memories. And he was a geek. They used to watch the Star Wars movies regularly and whatnot. He forgot them. So after they get they fix him and get the computer out, he's got to lay low. They give him a stack of DVDs. Here you gotta you gotta re, you gotta refill your memory. He's gonna he hands him Star Wars Episode Four, while the other agent guy in the place is pissed off at him. Don't start with that one. Start with Episode One. <laughs> he watches Episode One first, and then he comes up, and even though he has no memory of it, he comes up comes back up to that to, to Casey, and he's like. Please tell me, did I really like this movie? Did is really like Phantom Menace? Because, like, I can't take another second of it. I lied. Here, watch the the, the uh, watch episode four first. <laughs> That's rude.
2: I had well, my you know, my wife Sarah had you know seen bits and pieces of the Star Wars movies. Before we were married, so we sat down and watched 4, 5, and 6. I said, you're going to hear me talk about a lot of Star Wars for the rest of my life. So, um, and then she said, well, they made these other three, too, didn't they? And I said, no, they didn't. <laughs> I gave her the old Jedi mind trick, and she's never going to see them. I, I let her watch the, uh, the brilliant Red Letter Media review of The Phantom Menace. Oh, which if, if you ever seen that, the, the Mr. Plankett's red letter media, like the the old guy doing the the movie review,
3: I've seen pieces of it. I've
2: never been able to see the whole thing. What, it's 70. It's a 70 minute review of the Phantom Menace Whoa. told by an old crotchety possible serial killer. <laughs> unique comedic spin on it. But, you know, he does. What's brilliant about it is it does break down why the movie doesn't work in a way that I'd never really like. I was just sitting there at the screen like, yes, yes. And it compares it to all the other great adventure movies from Back to the Future to, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to, um, you know, the original Star Wars and why these Heroes Journeys things work and, and why there was such a misstep of there's not really a lead character in The Phantom Menace. And you know, the lead character can't be Anakin because you don't meet him until 40 minutes into the movie. And like just all these... Things that kind of went went horribly wrong. That is
4: true. There is no main character. Speaking of young Anakin, did you see the somebody had, uh, dubbed in Anakin's voice over Darth Vader? What? For yeah. what? Huh? Dubbed it over for what? For shits and
2: giggles? Oh, you mean like, like took Hayden Christian's no, 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 voice no. and put it over? Young, oh, little Jake. Jake, Jake Lloyd.
4: Jake Lloyd. They took Jake Lloyd's Anakin and they dubbed his voice over... On to Darth Vader during uh, 4, 5, and 6. Oh, good Lord. It's fantastic. <laughs> I
2: have, this, this I have to see.
4: Green know? screen. What you think of uh, Shia on the Balcony?
2: I I thought the Shia on the Balcony is one of the best things I've ever seen. Because I think, you know, all of these things are timely. So that means somebody watched that on green screen and went... Oh my god! I've got this idea, and then figured out like, okay, we're gonna shoot it tall screen so it matches what people's stupid like cell phone videos look like. I'm gonna write a quick script and time it out real quick, and then put the <laughs> effects in. Like, it's it's really simple but effective. And I and again, I love the I love the auto tune like rap music video they turn into. And then there's also, have you seen the Luke Jedi training one? I haven't seen on that one. Nope. He's Yoda, like, training him, you
3: know? <laughs> oh, like, no. I... Just do it.
2: Like, okay, I'll try. You, know? <laughs> you said that yesterday. <laughs> um, and he's a force ghost, so they have him as a force nice. ghost. So it's... Oh, I got to find that. I, I,
4: I, I saw the one on the balcony, and it was on Reddit, and I had to go back on YouTube, and I found the original green screen yeah, yeah. of Shia's doing his motivational, and I just went, what is this? Why is he doing it? This is fantastic.
2: And you should have him you should take the audio from and edit it into this podcast and have him yelling at us to you know. <laughs> if I had the skill. I, would. <laughs> I think I just that, this this is the thing I love about the internet. All of this stuff has no value to leading humanity anywhere but oh, no. man, is it entertaining.
3: Exactly. Know. I that saw a video Shia. I saw a poster for Spike, I think it was. It's got to be Spike. Um, they were talking about showing the prequels on television, and so it had the half-Vader face. But the, the catchphrase was, you can only be called Annie so many times before you snap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's, these are all things that are so wrong with that movie. It's just just the, the cringeworthy dialogue. Like, yep. Oh, that's so wizard. Like, shut up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, And Jake Lloyd jumping in... Uh, On Tatooine Winnie. Yes, exactly. You you get to go home early. woo
2: Now, Um, this is pod racing. No, it's not. You're piloting a ship in outer (laughs) space. You're piloting a spaceship.
3: We put up a post. I'm going to find it again and link it to you. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he does the voice of Winnie the Pooh.
4: Oh, that was fantastic. (laughs) Okay.
3: It's him at a convention, and they take the script from Star Wars, A New Hope. And he voices it as Winnie the Pooh. Darth
4: Vader. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> I, 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 I want to see...
2: They, they do these... Jason Reitman does these table reads out here in L.A. I don't know if you've heard about those. Oh, so yeah. they did The Empire Strikes Back, and they had Mark Hamill played the Emperor. And it's like an all-star cast of, like, movie stars and things playing the roles. And they just have a live table reading in front of an audience of the of the original script. Oh, and, that would be amazing. Uh, I, I've heard about this. If they do a Jedi one, I'm going to cut somebody's leg off to get there. I'm like, you know... <laughs>
1: Oh, man, that would be sweet. Yeah, they do it, what, once a month or
2: something? Yeah, and I, and I, I again, my, my friend Christina out here, who's a, a good friend of mine, and a producer, she's she's very up and up on all of these these readings and things. I think she went to the Pulp Fiction one that they did and said it's just an absolute blast, you know? Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah he, he, they've been doing this for a while, and he gets some of the original cast and then other people to fit in, but nobody ever plays the same role, like... So Mark Hamill yeah. was Vader, the Emperor, yeah. and so on. Like they keep, they switch it up.
4: Didn't uh, Tarantino do that with the uh, Hateful Eight script? Oh, oh yeah, that's they yeah, started that they, way. When it got times. leaked,
2: they just said, "Screw it, we'll turn this into some good PR and do a do a live reading of it." You know, if people yeah. want to hear it that bad, and here we go. I think going going back to the overdub thing, I just saw something the other day. What we talked about earlier—it's uh, the same anger snare drum sound. Yeah. Somebody's engineered it into Master of Puppets, or or I, something else, you know. And like it's I, edited in, and you're just like, oh, that would have been that would have been bad. <laughs> okay,
4: I did see. I didn't click on that link. I'm gonna have to go back and find it because i that same anger snare just irritates the shit out of me, and I don't want to click on that link.
2: It's not a good staff.
4: No, it is not. The name
2: of
3: that uh, author—remember was talking about *For Red Harvest*? His name's Joe Schreiber. That's what I said. Did you say that? Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, I didn't.
2: <laughs> I wasn't listening. <laughs> if you get a chance, you have to read that book. *Zombie Sith*. Yes. I will. I will definitely check it out. Yeah, I've been thinking about revisiting some of the. It just—it got a little overwhelming when there were so you know, I, I was reading every book as it came out, and then there were some like lackluster ones, like *The Courtship of Princess Leia* and the. The Darksaber trilogy where they build another Death Star. Like, oh, God, you know, like. Because it worked so well that, the first two times. Yeah, yeah exactly. It
1: was <laughs> just the
3: canon. But well, see, if you ever don't, if you don't find it and you get back to Canada, let me know. I'll lend you my copy.
2: But that's what I right. collected. I collected the novels. So right. I
4: have them all. all right. Or you can now. mail it out to them.
2: I well, I've been doing the audiobook thing lately cuz there's so much traffic to sit in. So <laughs> Oh yeah,
4: you do have a meeting in yeah. you LA traffic and we're No,
2: kinda... I actually just while we were sitting here I got the very Hollywood uh, rescheduled email. So
4: Oh, oh no. No, yeah. and, and so we're just bumping up against our time too. Oh, are we? Yeah. Oh, ah, damn it. Yeah, I know. I know. Well,
2: it's hell. okay. It's good these people are busy. The fact that they don't want to meet with me at all that's a wonderful thing. So reschedule <laughs> away. Yeah. I'll yeah. be here. Okay. It was always different. Every other trip I came out on was like I was here for two, three, four weeks at a time. It was like I have to get these meetings in. But yep. now being a little more based here, it's it's easier. Based? I thought you said you were stuck. Well, yes. It's, nice way. it's the polite yeah. word. Yes, <laughs> I, I don't know who from immigration listens
4: to you. Yeah. <laughs> Still is Canadian.
2: <laughs> well, at
1: least you're not stuck in the airport like Tom Hanks in that Terminal movie.
4: Oh, oh
2: man. You know, That that's funny. I... Because that's loosely based on a true story, like inspired by a true story. I don't know if it was the same length of time or whatever it was. But I had read that true story and started mining that and writing a screenplay based on that. I was like, one of my goals in life is to make a true story movie. And I I had started going through that. And then it was like I had all these notes and everything. But I was... I don't even know how old I was at the time so I just had this basic outline and then they announced that Tom Hanks was going to do it with Spielberg. I'm like well that's another idea <laughs> to me that was a, but to me it was a lesson in like oh something that I picked from the headlines is worthy of a Spielberg movie. So maybe I'm at least dreaming in the right direction. Exactly.
4: You know? Got to look for that silver lining. That's right.
2: So, so you, your indie film, you're 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 in post hell. Is that is that where the film lies?
3: Yes, because like you yeah. said, you might want to bring someone in on sound that knows how to do it. That's the problem I'm having right now. I don't.
2: Was the, was the original sound recorded well? No. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's where indie films become problematic and then tracking down actors, you know, eons later to, to do ADR and everything else. Yes,
3: uh, the one scene that we're having a problem with, well, sorry, I'm having a problem with. Yeah. Everybody that watches it, oh, no, I don't hear a thing. Bullshit, you hear it. You're just not telling me. It's one side was filmed. And then we went, flipped the camera, got everything split around. But there's traffic in the background on the second take. Ah, uh, okay. So as you cut back and forth, there's traffic. There's no traffic. There's traffic. There's no traffic.
2: Yeah, so you need to blend or add add traffic in the other, or try to noise reduce it, or ADR it and yeah, add I, the background noise back in. We had uh, when we shot Scarecrow, a wonderful sound guy named Steve Scott, who's uh, he's a Chatham guy. Um, one wonderful like human being as well as a wonderful artist because you know if you've if some of you have seen Scarehouse, i've seen it yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's like these you know big cavernous concrete rooms which are the worst for echoes well mm-hmm. one steve's great at at getting clean sound he, he bought these old off op- office dividers that were fabric covered and would like put them as close to the actors as possible without getting in camera frame to always sort of like stop the echo from traveling. That's a weird As well idea, as um, Mike Carrier, uh, you know, by when he's not producing films and fighting film crime by night, he's, he, uh, <laughs> you know, manages and works at a, a flooring company. So we had, uh, sort of a a great deal of carpet padding and we would just off camera and above wrap the whole room in carpet padding to help like just deaden it. Like you wouldn't have, you know, a sound studio for, for music and, uh, between that and then our post audio. And I thought, you know, there's all this yelling and fighting and camera moving and stuff on set. I'm like, man, we're going to have to ADR this whole movie. But our, our post sound guy, George Flores in Toronto, was able to clean up so much that the only adr i needed was we had one sd card that went bad so we had a whole minute scene where there was just no there was no audio recorded we didn't have it so the actors had to had to match it which he did brilliantly and then if i wanted to like change a line or or add a line off camera little jokes here and there like the people in the lineup outside the scare house all that was just kind of added later um, but it, it's crazy what a good what a good audio mixer and, and some of the new technology can do to help clean, clean up movie sound.
3: George Flores. Okay,
2: I have a name now. <laughs> <laughs> he's one. I would, if, if it's my choice, I will never work anywhere else. And he does, he's done a lot of the Black Fawn films. He did Drownsman, he did Antisocial. Um, geez, what? His walls just full of posters of, of Canadian, you know, mostly mostly genre sci-fi. But I mean, the man can do anything.
3: We're actually in talks right now to get someone else on our show that worked with you. Is Sarah Steele?
2: Oh, amazing! Is she not a local resident now? Is she actually she now lives in yeah. Chatham. Yeah, I didn't realize. I thought she still that lived in Tim Windsor. Tim Burton esque kind of house or something she bought. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, it's funny, I I met, it's funny, because her father is a radio broadcaster and and TV guy at CBC in Windsor, and years ago, making my first film, the CBC band pulls up a center site and goes, what what are you guys doing, what's what's going on, you know, he's just like looking for stories, and um, I met Bob there, and he ended up playing... Uh, our dean of students in a scene in the movie and it was the day of the East Coast blackout when oh. when we lost from New York to to yeah. everything. Okay, yep. So we're we're filming at the University of Windsor in the business building, the Odette School of Business, in like the dean's office. And like the light blows. I'm like, ah, oh, fuse. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, all of a sudden somebody yells like, the whole building's out. And I'm like, oh, we're getting kicked out. This is not- <laughs> turns out it was actually the you know the east coast blackout which we were not responsible for at the, end of the day. that
3: you know and, uh-huh. I, and
2: then I never i didn't meet sarah sarah sang the soundtrack to one of my indie films she's a brilliant singer as well and when i met her we did the old like oh add me on facebook it's like we have 490 mutual friends i'm like it is almost impossible we have not met no kidding. face to face yet you know i knew her her brother worked at the shoppers drug mart around the corner from me like i knew the rest of the family except sarah at that point and then <laughs> You know, Sarah, Sarah's designed props for me for, for music videos, for, for the afters, and Amos and the Transparent. And, you know, been peripherally involved in, in doing a lot of art stuff for me because she's such a brilliant artist. Um, and I, I love Sarah to death. So, I mean, that that's great. She, she is, she'd be a great guest because she's a hoot.
3: She is amazing. I, uh, about three and a half years ago, um, I just started getting into the film stuff. And my mm-hmm. best friend, Jen Dietrich, she, she told me about her. So I added her on Facebook. And I found out later, Sarah's going to Jen. Who's this weird guy from Chatham? Why is he adding me as a friend? <laughs> Jen's going. You sure
2: that wasn't my carrier? <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: but uh, I've, ever since we spoke, and I watched Scarehouse, I was watching the credits, and it's like, set Sarah Steele. No way.
2: So yeah, she built. She built the um, the sort of sorority um, display room where they put their victims. So that's oh, all. Okay. That's all Sarah's design, and I, I, she's just so gifted at that stuff. I think, like, it, it's, I, if she could move to Toronto, she would be a good job as an art director full time on the big shows. I know it, but I, it's Sarah's one of these people that has so many interests and so many skill sets and talents in different areas that she's just always bouncing between things. I, I don't think she'll ever be locked into sort of one career path, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, we're hoping to get her on soon. We were actually going to have her on last week,
2: but scheduling messed up, so we didn't get her on. But I'll, we, I'll uh, I'm gonna Facebook her right when we're done. This get your ass on the show.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, we got to wrap it up. We do. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Gavin, so much for being here. It's this is blast chatting.
2: Oh, always a pleasure whenever whenever you need a ringer to come in and talk nerdy movie talk. Give me give me give me a shout. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks again. Thanks, sir. Perfect. I guess that's it for us too.
4: Yeah, yeah. For another week of the movie madhouse, this has been Mike, Jason, and Rob, and,
2: and Gavin. Gavin. Booth, yeah. <laughs> that, that sounded a bit like in, in, in the Camp Crusty episode, and now I turn things over to my good friend, Mister Black. <laughs> <laughs> While
4: well, we can't hi- end on a higher note than that, so we'll no, talk know. to everybody next week. Bye, bye. See ya. It's a man home. A man home.